Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing to the show. We can't wait to share the show. But first, I have to ask, how much sleep did you get last night? Getting enough sleep and waking up on time aren't easy, but it can be. The sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help. They have the widest selection of America's best-selling brands. And they have beds for every budget. Everybody and everybody. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and save 10% with the code podcast10. And if online shopping isn't your thing, Mattress Firm stores are in your neighborhood, so better sleep is right around the corner, literally right around the corner. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is a repeat guest. This is a new episode of the show. And uh, here's the thing that's the delight about this. My guest who's opening a Diet Coke, you know, I have not had one Diet Coke since I found out Trump drinks so many of them. I haven't had Diet Coke in six months. That'll bring him down. You think so? Oh, good job, bro. You think that I've done it? Yeah. It's my own yeah. personal. It's Great my way to personal. Focus on the minutia. It's a personal. It's my personal way of trying to uh, better myself through my dislike. But here's the thing: the man who opened that Diet Coke is really and truly one of my best friends. Uh, a guy I've known since uh, I was 19 years old. Took wow. mercy on me as a young man. <laughs> Even though he's much, much, much older than I am. And um, I love him. He's one of the greatest comedians I've ever seen in my life. That's why we became friends. We tell this story on the podcast we did together four years ago. So, or yeah, three and a half or four years ago. So you can go back and find it. Uh, we're going to talk about other stuff today. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Alan Havey. Have, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Bri. And it's just funny, in this business, you got to say, no, this guy really is my friend. You know, in show business, I have I have comedy friends, I have show business friends, and then I have friends. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? But, and because I've known people for a long time, good, uh, friendly, but they're not friends. Well, you know, you, friend friends. Do you well, know what I mean? You and I have been through it. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, we've been through it yeah. for uh, each ups and downs <laughs> and each, I mean, <laughs> deaths. Yes. All kinds uh, of things. I mean, you came in from when my mom died 10 years ago. You, you came in. I, this is one of the ways I would define a friend. Yeah. My mom dies. You fly in for the funeral. Absolutely. Th- that's. Well, I, I was working on the funeral. Came in for a shiva. You came in for the shiva, the yeah. equivalent of a wake, for those of you who don't know yeah. what a shiva is. And, um, yeah, you were there. And I the, came in a suit and everybody was in casual clothes. I, I didn't know it was like toward the end of the, the shiva period. Well, it was great because you were there for, and I'm not going to tell this now because it's not my podcast, but, uh, I'm here to talk to you, but you were there when the guy tried to pitch me a movie for the whole Shiva. Oh, right. It's <laughs> relative. It's of un- mine. Oh, yes. He kept trying to pitch me a movie idea, and I mm-hmm. kept saying, Sir, my mother just died. Yeah. And he kept saying, But it's a humdinger of an idea. <laughs> <laughs> You're not, and, then, and then my favorite moment of it, he goes, I really, really think that you got to hear this idea. It's so good. And I said, And you're vulnerable right now. This is where you tell him, tell him, listen, the mom passed three weeks ago. Tell him now. Right. So I say, honestly, the thing is, my, I just want to remind you, my mother, you're here because my mother, my own mother just died. And he looked at me and he goes, all right, you're a loss. <sighs> One of the great moments of my yeah. life. Yeah. And it was a gift. Yeah. Of course. Not then, but now. You know. I, I think even then it, it, it may have been, but, but Have, um, so I've been thinking a lot, you know, we covered a lot of the sort of biographical stuff, but the interview we did last time was you were 
so to get background to anyone who's not going to go back, uh, John Stewart said recently in a national magazine like Vanity Fair, Esquire, that the single best set of stand-up comedy he ever saw was Alan Havey at the Comedy Cellar in the New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve in the... What, yeah, no? I walked into, it was like craziness. It was like two minutes 1991 after 1991 or something? I don't know. I don't know what he said. I kind of remember it, but I walked in and it was chaos. And in about two or three minutes, I was able to wrangle the room back and make it a comedy club again. And it, that kind of stayed with John. And he reminded me when I saw him a few years back. And uh, he mentioned it in that Vanity Fair retrospective. Yeah, it was great when he, this retrospective. Yeah, it was about really the, nice. It's you know that's the best compliment a comedian can get when an accomplished comedian or even any comedian uh, points something out or says you've been an inspiration or stuff. And I'm, I find that happening a lot now. It's very humbling. It's very I feel very gratified about that and the perspective of my career. Back when I met you when you were nineteen. That was, uh, what, 30 I'm years? 52. Yeah. You do okay. the math. Yeah. That's a, it's, you know, that's a long time. It's 32 years. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Or 33. Yeah. I think. I'm not going to do the math. I failed math. You're, you're the, you're the think, scholar. I think 33. But, but here, here's the thing. One, I have a problem, an issue with people using the word humbled in that way. Because okay. I think you really mean proud. I don't think you really, hum- does it really humble you? Does it really make you feel like humble to the gods? Or does it fill you with a little bit of pride, Uncle Al? Uh, I say Uncle Al so he doesn't come after me because he's scared. I'm always a prideful, boastful guy. So <laughs> no, you're not a so boastful it, person at all. But I, I, I it's it kind of says there, it, it's bigger than just you. That's what I mean. That's a great way to say okay. it. Okay. Yeah, you feel connected to some yeah. le- lineage, a legacy. That there's something going on, uh, and it has nothing to do with me or my ego or anything it's just like oh that's okay there's more to it than just me getting a gig or me getting a tv show i guess you know it's like athletes will win a most valuable player award and they'll have just scored you know six touchdowns and uh made a tackle on an interception against them and whatever and so it's an offensive player in this in my mind i don't write me a letter i really understand football but the point is then they say I'm humbled by this trophy. I never believe it. Okay. Do you know what I mean? But now maybe you're convincing me. I, maybe I, you're convincing I, me that what they mean is that it, it dwarfs them. But I never believe it. I'm so humbled I don't have to convince you. That's deep. <laughs> this was a great podcast. Come back again. Yeah. We'll Come s- back again for part three, everybody. <laughs> this has been terrific. But, uh, but here's what I was thinking about. And so it's perfect that we're on this subject. You uh, have this incredibly great, yes, it's wonderful that comedians have regard for you, but to you, I I was listening to Marin, you on Marin, which I somehow didn't hear when it finally came out, because it came out a while after he interviewed you. Oh, yeah, it it was a while ago. And I don't think I heard it, and then I went back and listened. Um, And, you know, he starts out by talking about how scary you were in the club sometimes to people, which is a thing you hear from Mm -hmm. time to time, because you're strict in a certain way. But the way that I always, and you kind of played it off with Mark, like, well, I just want to do my set, and you said I'm in my head, and I really want to do the comedy. But how I've always interpreted that, and I do want to say it again, when I say that you and I are best friends, I mean, literally since I'm 19, we've never been out of touch. We've never not seen one another. No. We're, we've shared all this stuff together. And I, as a young man, I spent a lot of time with you in comedy clubs, watching you interact with people. And you are strict, but I always thought it was because you revere what 
it's almost holy to you, this thing that comedians do. It's unbelievable. It, this is uh, something that ha- I'm in awe of since I was a kid. Yes, I, this is what, and it's it's not something to be trifled with, right? No, well, no, and I understand, you know, uh, you don't have to take everything seriously, but no, this is special. You know, this is special what we do. And if you run the light, or if you half-ass the set, not I'm not talking about trying out new things. If you just go up there and half-ass it or comp an attitude because you don't like the audience or you're not getting the money, well, then uh, get out of the business. Go work at the post office. So I, I that's part of it, too. And I'm back in the day when people were intimidated by me or scared of me. I was just focused, man. I, I, I got to go up in front of strangers and make them laugh. I don't know what's going through your head. But I, I'd like to focus. I want to do a good job. But it also seems like you would get... This is the thing that I think people didn't understand. I would stand with you in the back and watch other comics. And you loved when people killed. You, lo- you rooted. So it would piss you off if someone wouldn't like be almost like a coach. You would be pissed if they wouldn't be their best. Well, no, no you don't have to be your best. And I understand it's not... Even with your best stuff, it's not going to work. But I, I, when someone is being lazy or just... And, and I've been there, too. And I, I noticed it myself, too. I, I can't believe the crap that's coming out of my mouth right now just to get a laugh sometimes, <laughs> you know. So I guess that's it. I have a hard time hiding what I'm feeling. I think that's it, too. And sometimes I'm just pissed off, you know. Well, which fueled for a long time the comedy. Yeah, and still does occasionally. I mean, you know what they say, actors, use what you got. Use that. Sure, of course. You know, uh if you're nervous, use it, you know. If you're, uh, you show up one day and you're, you got a cold, well, use the cold. Yeah, you and a mutual friend were talking about this where I, I had made a statement recently, and I said this to Pendulette on the podcast last week, but I made a statement in um, a newspaper that I don't think, as you get older, anger burns clean anymore. And our, our, a mutual friend of ours said to you, hey, I still think it does. And you said, yeah, you still think it burns plenty. Absolutely. Nothing burns. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And there's always something to get angry about. So I'm much happier now overall uh, in my life, I think, uh, because I'm older. I have better perspective, meditation. Uh, I've satisfied the acting bug in me that was always unsatisfied for a while. As much as I love stand-up, I really missed acting. And that's happened over the last six years where I've I've gotten some nice meaty roles and uh, been able to, to be an actor. Well, yeah, this so is the that, thing. That's when, been satisfying. When we last talked, you know, it was, as, as I said, so I, I, in finishing your introduction, Alan was uh, Lou Avery on, on Mad Men and plays Carl Allard on Billions and had a great part on, on Crashing and was uh, in Man in the High Castle in an important role. Uh, and I'm, I'm leaving one of the recent ones out, Hail too. Caesar. Uh, Hail Caesar. Yeah, that was, a, that was a dream come true to work with the Coen brothers. And, and I always dug Josh Brolin in the just maybe the last ten years that he's been really active. Oh, yeah, he's terrific! He, he's unbelievable and and great on set. I think No Country was maybe even longer ago than ten years now. Was it? Yeah, I think it might have been. It was because it was the same year as the um, There Will Street. Be Blood and and PTA's made a couple movies since then. I I, okay. I could be wrong. It might be. I thought it was longer than ten years. But anyway, yeah, that's what I'm I, saying. You know, yeah, and there's always new people. Listen, I saw. Doll's House uh, Part 2 on Broadway, and I'm looking at uh, Condola Rashad, and I go, 
I want to work with her someday. And then thank you and David. And now I am working with her on Billions. I got to work with her. A, a thrill. I still get a kick out of this business, you know? Well, yeah. When, you know, you were at such a, a, a crossroads in a way when Mad Men happened for you. And we talked about this a little bit about how you pursued it and how you always knew you wanted to be on it. And we talked about it and the audition. But then in the by the second half of that second season, all the recaps started talking about what a dick uh, your character was. Even and and it uh, it really did fuel your acting career in a way. You you would walk into auditions and oh, yeah. you were a known commodity after a long time in the business. Right, How but not that, as an actor. Right. You know? How did, but, but but as you said. Well, you were, an, but but you got roles. Yeah, no. Every you, now and you, then, I got something. You, and Louis, uh, the appearance on Louis really helped because the uh, industry watched Louis. Right, you were on Louis, and then that helped you to get Mad Men. But and being in the informant helped me get on Louis. You know, sure. So everything kind of led to right. Absolutely. The other. Yeah. Are oh, you terrific in the informant? It's so much fun that movie. Um, I think it all started because you were in Rounders. I mean, I think really, if we trace it, that's really. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really how it all... That's called the Big Bang. I still think you should have let me manage you when you know, I was 19. And I, I, and I, I said, wish I, wish I would have. I said, you, need, you look like you need a manager, and you were like, I'm all set. Uh, yeah, you could have skipped levels, man. If you would have just said yes. You were 19. Bri, can you just... Young... Look in my eye. You couldn't look in my eyes and I, see? I, I, you couldn't I, see what I was offering to bring? Yes. You were bringing a lot of passion, but God, no. I'd rather be your friend. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather get along with you. I'd call that's you. That's true. You would have to fire me. Yeah, or or um, maybe I would have become incredibly successful and become a total a monster, dick, a monster, and you would and be, then fired me like and, Broadway Danny Rose. You'd become Lou Canova. Yeah, and then you know Charles, your dad would have to have a big talk with me. I don't know what that you're doing. With my you son. think even if I were like forty, I could then he could come out. Maybe and have a you talk wouldn't with have you. met Amy. You know, Sammy and Aunt, your everything would have gone alien. wrong. No, it, it all, all gone worked wrong. out. It all worked out, Bry. That's true. But well, here my, we are. Okay, we're still here. We're still friends. That's another thing. It's too. true. You know what? Because once I had you, I asked you as a favor to hire a, a friend of mine, and you had to fire him. And that would have been awkward if it was me. Yeah, that would have been terrible. It was awkward enough that you had to fire him. Oh, I never would have hired you because we were friends. Yeah, that, you so know? you would have known. Yeah. All and, right. Good and, choice. You know what? You made a really good decision. Thank you, dude. So when it happened, this is what this podcast is good for: talking things out, talking <laughs> things through. If you have a problem with Brian. Book the podcast. Wait, we had a problem. No, we uh, no. Wait, well, now we, now we had a problem. I had a problem, and and you know, but no, everything's good. That's we're not talking about that. No, why would we? Yeah. We're not gonna. Yeah. I would never. Who? But who was there for you? You. I was there. You, as you were for me always. No, I gotta say, as a friend, when my back is to the wall, and it has been a few times, you've been there for me. I really appreciate, buddy. It, buddy. I love you. Of I course, I love I'm there you too. You. And you know, you were my first friend whose father wasn't old enough to be my father. Right. Which I thought was a dynamic. Yeah, well, it's an interesting thing to me. That is, uh, that somehow you and I, uh, I never talk about this stuff on the show, but it is true, even though I was 19 and you were 31, uh, we were able to, and you were clearly like a big brother to me in the beginning, the first five years of our relationship. I mean, you were this... Oh, you know, you were a man and I was a boy becoming a man in the in the world. But yeah, the fact that we found, we had this, you know what it is? We were both really curious about things. 
and we both like to laugh at stuff. But I always felt it was a beautiful thing. We loved movies. um, Yeah, we loved movies, and we would, uh, we had enough of this stuff in common. But also, Have, you know, I looked at you as a working artist in a way that I couldn't be at the time. I didn't give myself permission yet. And here you were, someone doing it at the highest level, and you you let me in to watch a professional do what he did, and it was invaluable. It was better than me. having you sitting in the front row, because you always loved to get up front. Yeah, but by then, I was, by then I was just sitting with like you and hanging I said, out. I'm going to give this kid my home phone number. Well, yes. I, and I said, call me anytime you would come to a show. Well, but but I'm talking about later. You know, when I graduated college and I was in New York, right. and then we were hanging around all the time. Right. And uh, you kind of opened up that world to me. And I guess in a way, even though you were at the top of it, you never lost your this thing we're talking about, this fascination. No. I still, mm. it, it still amazes me. And I watch other comedians now, and they blow me away. I saw Sam Morell do He's his so set. He's so funny. The last time I was in town a couple weeks ago, and I'm in the back, and he's bringing up topical stuff like the hashtag Me Too and school shootings, and I go, oh, it's all there. It's all there in front of all of us, but Sam is just grabbing the stuff and making it into great comedy. And you see, that's the other side of this guy who scares people is the guy who just loves when someone's great. You didn't get jealous. No. You got inspired. Yeah. And and I love to laugh. I like to see good comedy. Adrienne LaPellucci did a joke one night. I knew she was going to do it. I went down, and I've never done this, and sat on the, the stairs outside of the room in the comedy cellar and listened like a little kid. I'm like, oh boy, here, and the joke went great. I was just, it made me so How happy. How did you know the joke? She, she mentioned it at the table. And I go, oh, you're going to tell that joke? And I'm, I'm not going to tell the joke. Don't now. spoil the joke. I went, oh my God. Okay, well, don't end with it. Well, no, I go, I mean, so she goes down. She goes, I may not do it. I go, do it. Well, don't do it. I, you know, but no, just, so I went down and she, she waited till the end. She did it at the end. It was the perfect time. She shouldn't have listened to me. That's why I'm not in the managerial business. Yeah, That's why, you know, uh, I'm not a, a book editor. And uh, it was just great. It, did it kill? Oh, God, yeah. It, it had the effect that I was hoping it would have and she was hoping it had. It, where it, would, it shocked and made people laugh. It was beautiful. And it was the first time she had done it. Is uh, is walking into a comedy club, is a comedy club still on a good night your favorite place to be? If I'm working, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're going to go up, even yeah. with the nerves, even with the stuff. Uh, yeah, it's still, it's like, okay, here I am. I'm home. You know, this is it. This is cool. And in between sets, do you get ramped up again and nervous again? Do you stay calm? Because you've been at this a long time. Has it changed for you a night at the comedy club? I think I get a little less nervous right before I go on. You know, I think I'm I'm more relaxed. I I think that's due to the last six, seven years of meditation. And um, I realize that if it doesn't go well, I'll figure it out. You mean when you're in the middle of the set? Before I go on, I say, you know... I go through my checklist. I'm sober. I worked out. I looked at my notes. If something untoward happens, I'll figure it out. If not, I'll leave. I'll get off the, you know, if I have a bad set, I have a bad set. I don't want to, but I I, I think I'm a little bit more calmer now before I go on. It's amazing how much it still matters to you. Like, there's still huge stakes somehow. Even as you say, like, it still matters to you to deliver when you're up there. Oh, God, yeah. 
You have people who have paid money. They wait in line. You ever go to the comedy cellar? In the winter, they're outside in a damn alley waiting in line. That's how much they want to laugh. Yeah. And, and, and even if you forget it, you go, oh, right. People, people want to get in here. They want, they want to see a show. People like to laugh. There's a lot of good comedians. Are you struggling to get sleep? If so, the fine people at Mattress Firm want to help. Mattress Firm is here for you when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. These are mattress experts here, people. And they're not just mattress experts. They can help you build your bed from headboards to adjustable bases to sheets. They even have bedroom decor. They got you covered literally and figuratively. Plus, if you go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast, you can save 10% with the code podcast10. Mattress Firm offers a 120-night sleep trial. So you can rest assured that you'll love your mattress or your money back and they offer a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price with more than 3,000 stores nationwide. Not only are they in your backyard, but this means they have the ability to offer you deals that nobody else can, and that's on top of the 10% savings you'll already cash in on. So go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and start sleeping better. Tonight, how often when you're up there do you really start flying where, you know, the time is going by and you don't know does it is it something you chase does it just sometimes happen you know what i mean how do you how often are you out of your head uh maybe 30 percent of the time and plus i'm telling one joke and i'm thinking what should i do next should i do the lesbian joke should i do this new joke should i you know i'm able to do that i mean always do the lesbian joke yeah well you know but like i have a bit about suicide that i kind of extended a little bit since there have been you know high profile suicides and especially, you know, uh, with children. So I'm, I'm trying to. I was trying to think of some kind of take on these kids in the cave, you know. Um, but I haven't. I don't want to make a moan. I don't want to do it just for the sake of doing. It. I really. Yeah, you're not talking to... about kid suicides. He's talking about people who kill themselves who have kids. Yes. The high profile. Yes. People, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Yes. Who have I don't want to mention names, but you know that. But, people... that, but that's if you're making the joke in the club. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. And people uh, always wonder, oh, how could they do it with? Uh, if you're rich and famous, you've got it all. Well, no, it's it's called mental illness, and rich and uh, rich and famous doesn't make you happy. And I've known this since we went over the, the poem Richard Corey in the fifth grade. They kind of spelled that out. When you throw the Richard Corey reference, they must howl. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why it kills. Yeah. It must. No, I, I, we, I don't tell them that. I but, know, you know. Dave. Um, no, of course you're not. Uh, but I'm starting. I, I'm I'm playing now with sets now because I'm doing the Edinburgh Festival. Well, this is what I wanted. To, yeah, of course. So it's I'm I'm going to go there and do. Uh, so tell me, what is that? So you're going to Scotland? Scotland. And so I got that right. Edinburgh's yeah. in uh -huh. Scotland, First which is a mansion. part of the United Kingdom. Yes, which right. is on the continent of Europe. I'm just uh, trying to dial it in well, for you and the fans. And you know this I love about coming on here. I learned too. But now I'm going to Manchester. I'm going to Belfast, Manchester, London. Then I go to Edinburgh. But uh, Edinburgh is you come out, you do an hour. There's no opening act. They, you know, they just play some music and you walk out and do an hour on stage. And I've never done that before. Uh, I've done an hour, but not on. I mean, purpose. you did an hour on uh, HBO specials. No, didn't no, you? those are two half-hour specials. You know, I've never. I mean, I've, I. Oh, oh, Broom Street sweeps the club. The guy let me go. I did hour 15 one night, but I was riffing and, and kind of messing around with material and it was working, so he gave me the stretch sign. But uh, I want to put together a solid hour of 
my stand-up and uh, some stories, some interesting stories and stuff I'm going to bring in about my childhood and about my early days as a comedian that I think because they appreciate stories over there and they love stand-up. So, so when are you? So this is Edinburgh, and what are the what are the dates? Uh, August third through the twenty-sixth. Every and you're doing every, every night? night except for the thirteenth. Yeah, every night. And I go out and do other shows to promote that show because there's other. It's a big Edinburgh comedy festival, It's a right? huge festival. It's a performing festival. There's one-man shows. There's juggling. There's magic. There's shows all day long, podcasts. Uh, so uh, I'm going to do uh, other shows, like I said, to promote my hour. And uh, it's on at 7 o'clock, which I hear is I love time. that you're stretching, that you've hardly ever done the full... I mean, you used to do hours, I thought, in... in uh, other places like on the 45 road. 45 minutes is I guess typical. an hour is a different... A typical headlining set is 45. Yeah, 45 minutes to 50. And, you know, I I have the material for an hour, but it's not just up hours. there talking for an hour. I want to make it interesting and fun without, you know, talking about, uh, you know, my uncle my uncle Jimmy that died, you know, or... I, oh, I'm the not tip con- the old... Yeah. That's the old I'm one man about thing. Yeah. being sodomized. I'm, you know, I'm not bringing up anything from the past. But you're going to talk a bit about you and your dad and Johnny Carson, Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that'll be there. I mean, and, I, I want to be there to see it. And the mob yeah. clubs, you know. The mob clubs you played at the beginning of your career. Yeah, and uh, how I was inspired to become a comedian in many ways. And, you know, some, some fun uh, stuff. Did you get to meet a lot of those old uh, Johnny Carson comedians? Or were they gone before you no. got to a place? Well, of I, uh, Alan King. When I, I did that talk show in the early nineties and comedies, I met, got to meet Alan King, Freddie Roman. Uh, I met uh, God, uh, a couple uh, Red Buttons, Jackie Gale. You know. Uh, and is it fun for you now when you're in the clubs and some of the younger comedians and you get to do your thing and then they come up to you and they're like, Ah, now I understand. Yeah, you know, it's weird. I don't see them. I, I see all comedians are peers. I don't see that. Certainly not Carlin at the time, but with the, the comedians I work with today in the cellar and out at Hermosa Beach, they're just peers. But then I realized, oh, right, they watched me when they were in junior high and high school, you know, and I, I, I kind of get it. One guy kept calling me sir. I go, it's Alan. He goes, no, no, you're Mr. Havy. So, okay, I'll, I'll accept that. But it, it, it's a little weird. Being an elder statesman, because also yeah. you were always well. I'm interested in this too, because you were always kind of a rebel. You were uh, as respectful as you were about what comedy's position in the world. You didn't suffer a lot any bullshit, and uh, you were going to, you know, if someone wrote in a review, you shouldn't say that word. You were going to say it. Yeah. But but now you're. It's not that you're an elder statesman, meaning you're old, but you've been around in a way. You're one of the sheriffs. I guess. I guess. I, I, you know, I don't see myself that way, but I kind of, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Okay, sure. You know, um, I think two uh, comedians out in LA kind of felt sorry for me because I was still working in the club. Oh, you mean why is this uh, old guy? Yeah, still yeah, here? yeah. And one comedian said, "You know, I used to feel sorry for you, man, but." Then I saw your IMDb. Holy shit! Look what you've done. You know, I was like, what? "Well, I was going to ask you uh, about that." Has the acting work put comedy in a diff? Because the fact that you're now really a working actor has it allowed the comedy thing to exist in a different place when you don't need the comedy for your career to build your career? Because you have this incredible, you have this incredible third act. Uh, no, I still need the comedy. 
it's it's still it's yeah you still, need it emotionally yeah emotionally and stuff like that i you know i don't give a damn about being recognized or when like for instance well, when you were I, younger every time you could get a tv spot yeah that was a goal you really chased it you really want well, to work your act for a tv spot but i haven't for heard letterman you or carson for letterman or, yeah i mean uh i i didn't want to go on star search no, of course, right. I, 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 you know, even as a young comic, and I, I wasn't being a snob, but I go, no, two minutes. I'm not going to go to do two minutes and compete, and I'm doing that in quotes, compete against a, a, a friend or a peer. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Right. No, you were careful about the spots you would do, and you. So loved- that's a hundred thousand dollars I could have potentially won, but you know, I just didn't like the idea of a comedy comp uh, competitions. Yeah, I don't know anyone. I mean, I guess a lot of comedians didn't want to, or enough didn't want to do that stuff, but most, I think, wanted to take it. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, San Francisco has a competition every year, still does. There was a huge thing. But I guess what I'm asking is, are, it, did this acting thing, and the answer could be no, but did it allow you to exhale just a little bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And no, just to know, because the yeah. comedy grind is hard, man. Yeah, it is hard. And I think a lot of people were happy for me because they know, like yourself, uh, how hard I work, and I think uh, people say, "Oh, he should be bigger, getting quotes than he is, or more famous." So it was just like, "Oh, now people know what I'm doing, or now people kind of get an idea who I am." And conversely, guys on the set, like some of the crew members, oh, I saw some of your stand-up. They said you were stand-up. A lot of the actors didn't know Ham knew and Slattery knew, but uh, uh, most of the actors on the show didn't know I was a stand-up, so they went on YouTube and caught some of my own Well, like stuff. when Damien saw you in um, in England, Damien yeah, Lewis, was... he hadn't really didn't know your stuff, and then he sent me a, an email like, holy shit, Havy's funny, because I guess you killed that night yeah, that, in the well, UK. What, and see, that's the kind of stuff that's been happening. It's like since Mad Men, it's like these weird things, not only in my career, but in other people's career, but also... Friends of mine, kids are doing well. They're getting into the schools they want to get into. Or uh, a kid, a friend of mine, a kid was having a problem. The problem solved. Uh, Good things have been happening to people around me. But that night, first night ever in London, working as a stand-up comedian. I mean, I I had done sets there 20 years ago. And there's a knock on the door, and uh, we have a few celebrities for it. And in what Damien and his wife, Helen... And oh, you know, I've never. And met at that him. point, he hadn't we really had, didn't know your work from no, the show, no. right? And in fact, he didn't he didn't know you were on the show or didn't figure it out until I, after. I don't. Yeah, I, and then after my set, we he came out and talked. Couldn't have been, couldn't have been nicer. But I've been a fan of his since you know Band of Brothers, and uh, so and that was nice. No, of course. You know. So was there ever a time when you felt like giving it up? when it was hard because the thing you just referenced which is people saying why weren't you bigger it's it's hard to explain to people but and you know it tortured me for you for years because you were undoubtedly the best stand-up comedian in new york everybody knew it you had your own show and then a corporate merger happened and it screwed you out of a late night show and i had a sitcom uh that wasn't mine but it didn't fly you know i've had you had those shots and it but but for whatever reason it didn't translate into selling out theaters at a specific time in your life. Right. Or and, today, and so, you know. Yeah, that's I mean, what I'm saying. It didn't translate into selling out theaters. And uh, and then this wonderful third act happened where now you have this great life. Right. And you get to work in a thing you've always wanted to work on. But I'm in between. I have a couple questions. 
what did keep you moving? How did you continue to keep writing? So when the comedy scene started to, because you were headlining comic, you were touring a lot, you were making great cash doing the road, and you were like, I didn't do the road a lot because I wanted to stay in LA. But you were a headline, you were a, yeah. a headlining, headlining comedian for, over for a long years, time. Yeah, the comedy scene. Um, well, you used to do the road more. I guess you'd come up to Boston and all that. Yeah, stuff. when there was good clubs out That's there. That's what I'm saying, when there were all these good clubs out there. Right. But when the scene changed and it became harder to really, like, kill it at comedy, uh, did you ever consider, like, well, what else can I do? No. How come? No, I mean, it was stand-up. It still, it still draws me in. I didn't have to push myself. I don't have to get up. You know, you mean get up and turn? You mean yeah? I, I really, I, I don't want to go to Tahoe this weekend and perform in front of strangers, and make them laugh. So I really, I got to do some jumping jacks and call Tony Robbins. No, it's I don't need to be motivated. There's a club. I got a job. I can't wait. Right. Coming to New York, I did like what fourteen, fifteen sets in the past ten days. And by all reports, just destroy. I've heard from all the comedians that you just destroyed. No, yeah, but it's a great club, and I'm working with good comedians. It's fantastic. This job is amazing. If I had never acted, if I had never acted, still, it's unbelievable to be a comedian. It is wonderful uh, to control your own destiny for a lot of it. You're your own boss. You pick the material. No one comes up to you and says, don't do that bit. But in those years when other people maybe were looking, like you just said, you could see some young guys looking at you like, ah, oh, that guy's still doing 15 minutes. He's still coming in here to get his Everybody is. Right. Chappelle, Chris Rock, yes. those guys. Yes. Yeah. I still am. Well, what's left? Right. W what else am I going to do? I could get a job writing on a sitcom, maybe hustle a job and get fat sitting at a table, uh, writing good jokes, and, and they want the shitty ones. I, I'm not going to sell my soul for that. Right. I, I, and so you, none of, all along the way, for you, it was like, did you worry? Did you ever worry about, well, how am I going to keep this going how am i gonna yeah yeah at 44 i think we talked about this last time i go oh it's over oh my god and, you know i had a shot i was like 42 44 i go ah, it's over you know i'm not gonna uh, this is it and then oh, I, I and then shortly it just said no 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 just if you just keep going ahead and do really good work good things will happen just keep going i just had faith in myself and the world you know, the and, second part's important, and that the world would recognize somehow. Yeah, if you kept on. Yeah, and then I ran into and, Naomi Odenkirk at the Improv, and she looked at me. She goes, "You should work more." I said, "Take me on." Right. And she thought about it for a day, and she did. And so, uh, this and did you look inside and do work on yourself as this was going? I mean, oh, I know you did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so, how did you? What's your process to look at yourself? What is the process by which you do that self-examination? Like, I journal and meditate. Like, what do you do to sort of check in with yourself? Um, I I talk to myself a lot. I I think like what's going on. I take a step back from my life and go, oh no, it's not over. Stop. You know, you're still working. You're still a comedian. Um, what it is, I think. What I said to myself is, okay, what can you control? What can you control that nobody else can say no to, that nobody can stop you from? Quit smoking. Uh, exercise more. Maybe eat a little bit better. Maybe expand your mind. Read. 
you know, and I started that working on the seminar I did, Curtain Up. And I got online and I, because I was going to do this talk in front of college students, I watched every single motivational speaker, good or bad, male, female, black, white, whatever, that I could get free on the internet. Nothing I had to buy. And I saturated myself with this stuff. And what happened is I started writing down the advice and taking the advice myself. Writing it down as much for yourself. Yes, do this. If you want to go up and talk to these college kids about the best advice, why don't you take the goddamn advice yourself <laughs> and start applying it? Yeah, that was huge. And this was this happened over a couple of years. Yeah, sure. Where I did it, and looking back, oh, that's what happened. I slowly pulled my head out of my ass. One of the other things is that you never give in. This is something I've noticed. You are one of those people. There are people who are well-wishers and there are people who are not. And I said it a little (laughs) bit earlier about you rooting for comics to do well. But more than that, there was never a moment when something good would happen for me professionally. When I wouldn't, you know, in the old days, you would get a letterman. I'd be the first person who would, you would call me. I'd be your first phone call. Yeah. Probably got, I got letterman. The The, the, The night after you got married. Yeah. I was at your wedding. I was at the reception. I had to, and then you know I had a meal, and you know I probably danced with uh, Jennifer or Stacy. And then I I got to go. Right. I, I can't stay. I can't go out. You know. Yeah. Because I had Letterman the next day. Yeah, you would go do Letterman, but I'm saying you would share that with him. But but there was never a moment. You know, sometimes there could be a friend if something good happens for for you for me. I'd be like, oh, if I, you know, things aren't going that well for them. I'm, I I don't want to tell them. They'll be jealous or they'll be upset. But you have this remarkable quality, and I'm wondering how, if you're just born this way, or, or if it's, there was never a time I could say, hey, Abby, guess what, They're, Dave and I are gonna get to write Ocean's 13, and like, it wouldn't matter if you were having a hard time getting the next whatever. I would hear joy in your voice for us. Genuinely excited and happy. I, I'm happy for strangers. So when it happens to your friends, it, it makes me really happy. Because I know what it's like when you hear yes. Right. You, you know what it's like when you hear yes. And when I read Rounders. Well, yeah, you, were the, you knew right I, I, I guess I was the third guy in the world to read it. And I, you know, I had read a lot of scripts. And I, I called you guys. You guys are going to do this. This is too good not to be done. You did. You said it right away. Yeah. It, it, this is really good. Uh, so, but people that didn't even know you, I told about, like once you sold it, weren't happy. You could tell it bothered them. I go, no, no, no. This isn't about you. They didn't go into your home and take your idea. You know, it, it, it's funny. I, I and even this week at the cellar, watching the way ego plays out. And yeah, bitterness. Watch. So how do you? This is what I'm asking: is how did you? Well, how did you see it play out this week at the cellar? I, have, don't I, name names. I cannot name names, and I'm not going to even name situations. But it's just interesting the little ego things. And I caught myself doing this not this week so much, but but you know. well, how do you stop yourself from? Because I think this is useful for people. Because all of us have moments of why that happened to them, not me. So well, how you get do that you, little thing like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, but then but how hey, do you, you stop? Know, yeah, how how do you how, how stop do yourself it? from being bitter? Practice. This is important. You, you, no, this, you, you drill it. You, yes, you do. Because guess what? Life will give you many opportunities to practice bitterness and jealousy and hate and envy. Every day it could happen. So you're always going to have those situations come up, like patience. 
How do you practice patience? How do you become patient? Practice kindness. You practice. You do it. Yes, you practice kindness. Yes. Pendulet, I asked him what, what, how he would define being a good person, and he thought about it. And as you know, Penn doesn't have to think about anything. He's so fucking smart. He is smart. It all just goes. And he thought for like what? That's why life Shelby is thought easy. for like 30 seconds or something. And he, I'm just looking at Shelby records the podcast. And, uh, and, uh, and then he said, I think just kindness, just choosing to be kind. And you're saying practice it. Learn yeah. to be kind. Yeah, and, if I, and when I find myself not being kind, I can ca- catch myself and go, wait, hang on, whoa, 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 stop that, you know? I mean, I, I can catch it a lot easier now through meditation as I get older, you know? Um, and when there's a situation that really irritates me or other people, I, go, I, can, I can step back and go, okay, don't worry about it. It's the way it happens. And then also you can still get pissed off. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you kind of love that, too. It's a great dichotomy in you. Yeah, because it, you are so kind and giving to those that... But if someone... You still can fly into it, man. Yeah. I'll tell you something happened. I'll tell you something happened. I was going to tell you and David before the show. I'll tell you something that really pissed me. me off. Doing a uh, brunch show a couple weeks ago at the cellar. I'm on last. Show's running a little late. That happens. Guy's on in front of me, very successful comedian. His life is going great. He's killing, and he gets the light. And a couple minutes later, I'm standing in the back watching him, just kind of gauging the room, see if there's something I can piggyback, you know, reference. And he says, uh, um, do I have time to tell a story? From the stage? Yeah. And I'm standing in the back Come on! Like this. <laughs> and the MC's there, and the crowd kind of laughs. I go, really? And he goes, it, it, it. He goes, I'll, I'll tell it quick. I go, no, just edit it. He goes, I'll tell it quick. And I walk, I go, take my seminar. And I walked outside. You but, walked out of the room? Yeah, but the, the crowd was laughing. They could tell right. I was the next time. I walked out, you know, because let him tell a story, because I didn't want to stay there, because I felt I would have interrupted. You knew it. you'd get angry yeah, and interrupt I, the story. Just, just walk out, show out. So he tells the story, and then he comes off. And then he comes off stage, and I said, oh, that was a beautiful story. I like it. You touched your eye. Yeah, I like it. And then I get up, and I said, how about that story? I could have listened to it all goddamn day. What about you? (laughs) But it it was good. It kind of sparked anchor. Five days later, Village Underground. Great guy. Very funny comedian. Nice guy. Same guy? Same guy. Life is going good. Career's going good. His life is good. He's killing on stage. Gets the light. You know, I get off the table, kind of limber up, go through my little mental process. And then he goes, is that a two-minute light? And I'm like, now everybody, you've been in this business 20 minutes. The light comes on. That's two minutes. That's wrap up. That's exactly what that light. He knows it. And he goes, because I wanted to tell a story. And the crowd is like, tell the story. And he goes, no, I'll just do a, uh, I'll tell one joke. And the crowd, no, no. He goes, and they go, so he told the one joke. And he got off and he walks by me. See, I got off and I, and I, I patted him on the back. I go, that's because you're a pro. That's where you got off. So two, twice in a row, he pulls this on me. I know that this guy's my friend too. No, but, no, this guy is not your friend. You probably know him, but he's not Not your, my friend. Who do you think it is? I thought it was a friend of mine. It's not my friend. Go no, ahead. No, I'm not going to say the name. Why not? Because when you said story, I thought it was my friend. I'm glad it's not my friend. Gary Goldman? No. No, it was different friend. I'm not going to say it. Okay. The way you were telling the story, but it didn't seem like him because my friend is very generous and kind-spirited. This guy is too. 
but it, it, I just happened to fall into the thing. So, and let's be honest, this guy's probably better at. Uh, I'm not going to say it. I know who it is. I'm not going to say. It. I now know who it is, but I won't say the no, name. No, you don't know who it is. I guarantee you, you don't know who it is. Um, anyway, that's the kind of thing that really uh, irks me when a comedian's being selfish. And when I, there, there are times when I might have run the light a little bit longer because I'm no. The MCs know when they give me the light, you're gone. Yeah. Yeah, I have the next comic here. A joke, yeah, you better be going because I'm I'm gone. Yeah, I'm because that's the being a professional. Yeah, that, I mean that. Well, like I said, we talked on the last podcast. That's what I learned at eight or nine years old watching Carson. You get all the stories and you get it. You got it. Certainly, when I was a theater major, community college, Florida State, you you were not professionals, but you have a professional attitude. You know, if you miss your cue, you can't say, "Well, I'm just a college student." You hit your cue. You hit your mark. Learn to hit your mark. Yeah. Say the line. Yeah. Show up and yep. do your job. Get there early. I'm not not to make this the the pendulette recap, but he I would say he also said to be successful in in business. He said it's very simple. The other things it's not so simple, but in if you're just talking about business, what you want to do, show up on time and do what you say you're going to do, mm-hmm. and you're like a lot of the way. You're a lot of the way ahead. You show up on time, and here's another thing I found. When you're quiet, people think you're the nicest guy in the world. But like today, you showed up three minutes early, and you were like, I'm sorry I'm late. Yeah. And you weren't late. No. You were right when you're here exactly. But I wanted to have that 15 minutes of, hey, Brian, hey, Dave, you know. The metaphorical smoking of the cigarette together. Yes. and just Even though I never indulged in that particular thing with you. Because you're a fucking saint, Brian. Because... Uh, cancer cigarettes kill. No, no, it's I, I know. You think it's because I'm sad? Also, no. maybe because I'm. Your parents weren't smokers. Yeah, my my. I my, smoked cigars. Yeah, my dad smoked cigars. Yeah. A lot of scars, and uh, my parents smoked shared. like the Industrial Revolution. I mean, it was just in everyone in the parish. I'm looking at you, man, and I'm so happy to see you here, and I'm so happy about the fact that you're going to do this uh, hour, and I'm happy for the people who are going to get to come see it. Because I'll tell you, I've brought my whole office in to see you do stand up. I've brought, uh, you know, over the years, hundreds of people to see you. And I think it's because you have this professionalism. How much of it do you think? By the way, I I say you have helped me out enormously and far beyond just uh, auditioning me many times for your projects. So. Well, we've helped each other out in life, but um, which is more important? Yeah, I mean, um, in all sorts of different, and also, I mean, knowing I always had a big brother out there is really uh, and knowing when to I'm me. doing a set that I know there's one guy in the room that gets this, gets the whole thing, and that's you. Yes, you know, because you've seen me so much. Yeah, there can be no one more dialed into your stand-up than me. That's for sure. But uh, how much of it do you think is this is an endless debate in my head? And I was reading the Springsteen biography, and he talks about this question. Uh, how much of it do you think is like rigor, rigor, hard work, focus, lack of giving up? How much of it is raw talent? Like, where do you come out on that, having now watched people attempt this for a long time? Well, the talent, I think, it, you know, 15, 20%, just pure talent. Yeah. And the rest is just thinking it, working it, doing it. How can I make it better? How how can I extend this? How can I... This joke's not working. What is it? I know it's funny. So I come up with a good joke, 
I guess that's talent. I don't know, but it's just the harder you work at it, it because the harder you work at it, it, it doesn't get easier. Right. You know, it, it it's because comedy. Nobody knows comedy. I mean, if you if you play a banjo, and you learn the banjo, and you play it at home, and you you get better at the banjo, you cannot get better at stand up comedy practicing at home. So it takes being on stage, and that's the only thing that will let you know. That's why it's amazing what Albert Brooks used to do when he would never have performed it, and then just uh, it's inconceivable, right? Yes, I, I read that in uh, Apatow's book. So I guess that would be the example, the only example of uh, you better be as good as Albert Brooks if you're going to try that. Like uh, that's talent. I guess that's pure talent. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's pure talent. But he, he still had to do a little work in the bathroom. You know, he, he would go in, when I read that in Apatow's book, I, I kept closing the book and going, "What? <laughs> Are you kidding me?" And I would pick the book back up and read more. What? Because he would do a lot of that stuff without... Uh, never Ever showing it to anybody. Or maybe running it by a friend or and something. He would just show up on the Johnny Carson show and say it. I can't tell you how many times I've run bits by friends sitting around. Oh, that's funny. No, do that funny. And I've worked it out, done it, and tumbleweeds. Nothing. Nothing. You know. Gotta be in front of the crowd. Yeah. You, uh, that's the only, uh, you know. Maybe the talent is like the desire. And it's what keeps you going. I guess. I don't know. I, you know what? I don't want to figure it out. Right. Because, I, I mean, I ran into Stephen Wright like 15 years ago. And he said, it gets harder. And I said, I know. <laughs> you know. Now, once they accept you. I mean, I saw Jerry Seinfeld about 10 years ago. Maybe eight years ago in Vegas. Saw him for a half hour. As soon as he runs out on that stage, they love him. Right. It doesn't make it easy. He said it buys you 10 minutes, right? Isn't that what he yeah, said? Something five like that minutes, special. maybe. But he's still, he, he's doing these jokes about very simple things and, you know, topics I've tried to tackle. And I'm watching him. I go, oh, there it is. Holy shit. Because he's it the is. master, you mean. Yeah, there it is. It was right there all the time. It was right in front of me. There's the joke, you know. Right. That's why I love watching comedians. Yeah, because you're out there and you're hammering away. And that's yeah. great to see when somebody's chiseled it out. Yeah. And they've I, done it. I just saw uh, Dan Soder work. How was he? He was great. I mean, I love that man. It was fantastic. You know. yeah, he's in a good zone right now. Yeah, he's having a good time. And you're off to go do his radio show now. Yeah, pretty soon. Well, uh, uh, and uh, I also have to fight Little Allen. I also have to fight little, the Little Allen inside me that wants to stay home, that wants to just play the uke and get high and watch old movies. I lost my passport. Yeah. Never lose my passport. I lost Before my, Edinburgh? Yeah. I lost my driver's license. Oh, yeah, because you're trying to sabotage yourself. Yeah. That never, so that never stops? That's never... No, I'm 60 goddamn three I'm years old. I'm still going to be three months into a diet and start jam two Big Macs into my mouth? There's no well, way around that? What happened is they sent a letter from uh, London to take to the passport agency. I had my thing the next day. I opened up the printer to print it. There was my passport. It was up there. My wife and I looked everywhere for it. Found it the night before. And then that's when I go into Bing Crosby. Right. Oh, look at that. See, nothing to worry <laughs> about. How did you uh, learn to become calm on set? Is it just purely the meditation or the yeah, doing yeah. it a lot? Like, what do you think? Because you used to get much more nervous, I think, than you do now. You mean acting? Yeah. Uh, well, g getting through Mad Men, you know. It changed uh, you. Yeah, and well, it, uh, Soderbergh, working with Soderbergh was great. On the informant yeah, first. Yeah, and, and Louie, uh, and, uh, and that helps. Just, you know what, it's time being on a set. 
But Mad Men was just ridiculous because I love the show so much. Um, and meditation. But... Uh, it, it's such a joy seeing you on our set. Oh you know, the first time you did a scene with Giamatti and you walked off, he just said, uh, I love that guy. That guy's so great. Oh, that's nice to hear. And I was obviously, you know, I had this huge sense of, well, relief. But no, huge no, sense I of mean, pride. Yeah. Dave and I both. And I loved that uh, one of Adam Perlman, who's a, our lieutenant and co- a co-exec producer on the show, and a guy I really trust, we really trust a lot, before last season, he, he said, you know, I have an idea we should do a big run with Carl Allard's characters before season three. And Dave and I looked at each other. We were so happy that another writer in the room recognized what you were bringing to the table and wanted you in the show. And it was a great way because, you know, it's up to Dave and me. We just want you around all the time. But you completely earned your place because you killed it when you showed up for the two episodes in season two. I was so nervous. I was so nervous in season three. I was I, I'm I'm nervous every time I walk on a set, but you know I listen. Giamatti's a, a calming influence. Well, he's and so Condola is like Zen. They're both top yeah. top top professionals. So yeah, so I I you know I'm fine. You know once they start cooking, but when I walk in, I'm pretty nervous. You're fine once you start cooking, and that is what people are going to see in Edinburgh. I hope so. Not that this is a commercial, an hour-long commercial to go see Alan Havey. God forbid you should promote me. In Edinburgh. But, folks, August... 3rd through the 26th. Except not the 13th. Alan Havey, ladies and gentlemen. Edinburgh. Edinburgh Festival. You can find tickets for that online. Online. Just go to my website. Go to Edinburgh. Look for Alan Havey. Google Alan Havey Edinburgh. You can't follow the Have on Twitter because he's a Luddite. No, I'm going to get on Twitter. Nah, it's bullshit. Nope. What? Prove it to me. Prove it... I'm going to get so you on. have two accounts that are dead. The third one's going to win? No, no. The second account. Is it dead? Uh, do you tweet? No. But I'm going I, who, Which one is it? Is it Havy? Is it, hey, is you know it, what? I, Follow me on Twitter, guys. Not Mickey Shamrock, the one that says my name, Alan Havy. Okay? <laughs> Follow Alan Havy on Twitter. We'll see if he tweets. I will say this, don't hold your breath, folks. And uh, you can follow me at Brian Koppelman. You can email me the moment bk at gmail.com. Don't send me jokes for Havy to buy. He's not in the market for him. No. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. At the end of the day, you want to commute home listening to a good podcast. And you want to come home and have a good night's sleep on a great mattress. Pro tip, your budget stretches further. Mattress Firm. We appreciate you listening to this podcast, and we promise you'll appreciate us once you head to Mattress Firm and find your perfect mattress at the perfect price. Don't forget to go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to learn how you can improve your sleep and save 10% with the code PODCAST10. It's sleep you dream about.